Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there, welcome back. I'm excited to have one of my favorite wellness experts, Aaron Alexander, drop in with us today and share his knowledge about alignment and the body. Aaron is the founder of the Align Method, which provides an integrated approach of functional movement and self-care that has helped thousands of people increase their mobility and feel great in their bodies. He's worked with some of the world's best athletes, celebrities, and everyone in between. And today I'm asking him to share ways that we can all get back in alignment not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. Because when we have deadlines and to-do lists, it's easy to tune out the aches and pains that are actually asking you to slow down, to pay attention to your body, to stretch and realign. So we're exploring why it's so important to live in alignment, why alignment is important for your long-term health, and the hundreds of ways you can begin aligning to your optimal health right now today. Welcome, 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 Aaron, to the show. Get these notes out of here. I can't. <laughs> no, I'm just if we make it through this I'm podcast, no, we're gonna make it. Laughing. We're good. We're good. We're good. So we just ended the acro yoga session, and we have tried to record this podcast many times, and it ends up in body work, acro yoga, flying, and laughing, and then we don't get anything done. So I'm happy to have you here today. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for letting me boss you around with your digital equipment. Jerk. <laughs> Like an audio Nazi. I'm really stoked to have this conversation. It's been many, many months in the making. Where do we start? I really feel like I have so many questions to ask you because your book, your Align Method, the Align Band, your podcast has been an absolute inspiration for me, for my clients, for the people in our lives, for our Rising Glide community. And I don't even know where to start. Where did where did we end up meeting? I remember when I moved from New York to Venice, my husband and I started throwing these parties and people started doing acro yoga in the middle of them, like on yes. glass tables. <laughs> like, right. It was a very different world out here than in New York City, then got into it and started really enjoying acro yoga and this idea, aligning your body and how important it is. So did you always have this vision of what you were going to do today? Like mm. when you were a kid growing up? No, I was obsessed with just adding muscles and expressing to the world that I was big and strong. And uh, I mean, I think it came down went, like excessively deep too fast, but like worthy of love. I was like always before anybody would take a picture or something like that. I would literally, this is, this is kind of pretty weird to talk about, but I would like go out and like do push-ups and pull-ups and try to get some kind of like Arnold pump thing going. And so I'd like live my whole early life like that, just completely obsessed with essentially being accepted, being worthy of connection, worthy of love and all that. And I was tying that to my physicality. And so my initial foray into movement and health and all that stuff was just looking for abs and biceps and superficial validation. 
And then eventually the part started spinning out of control. And just like lots of pain, lots of anxiety, shoulder dislocations, ankle, like all sorts of issues. And uh, that turned into studying rolfing and body work and moved to Hawaii and went to school for psychology and discovered psychedelics and just like went in a different direction. And uh, now here we are. That's amazing. <laughs> I feel like I was on the, I was on like the flip side. Like I was like, makeup, hair check. Yeah. Oh, it's the same stuff. How many pictures can we take until we get the right one? Are you going to post that on Facebook? Don't yeah. post that on Facebook. I don't want to be seen that way. I think women get more of a, almost like a bad rap because if they get implants or they get Botox or their lips did or their cake in their face and some kind of makeup or perfume, all the different things, those are very obvious and they're very superficial. Men do the same stuff. They buy cars they don't need. They you know put on muscle, so they're breaking their tissue down. Hypertrophy is a fancy word for it. They're going to the gym and just slam themselves with these weights, which I think is great. It's all about, it's not about what you do, it's about why you do it. But nonetheless, they're essentially like, like biological masks or biological costumes, but they're more socially accepted. But really, men and women, I think, are going through really similar internal battles. 100%. So where was that moment when you realized it's not about what you're doing, but why you're doing it? Where was that mindset shift for you? And when did that happen? I think I'm still in the process of it. I think just slamming my head up against the wall so many times. Loneliness is something that I've experienced with. It's, it's been a very common sensation theme throughout my life. And so I think a large part of what that has been kind of blocking people out because of perhaps like seeking perfection or making sure things are exactly right. And along doing that, kind of closing myself off from actually really letting somebody in to actually see all of me and doing that, probably the same thing, being able to see all of somebody else. And eventually, there's only so long that a person, me in this case, can live their life without eventually feeling like, okay, like I need, I'm like suffocating, you know, because love, you know, there's like in, in the book, it talk about the, the Romanian orphanages in the late 80s, there was so many children in, in the orphanages that they weren't, they didn't have enough caretakers to be able to, to touch and coddle and like love the kids. And those kids, they literally end up, it's called uh, failure to thrive. They literally like stop growing. They have all these emotional disorders and their bones, they're, literally they just like go into like a holding pattern. And there's various different explanations for why that may be. But essentially, like your human organism, if it doesn't get the signal that you're being taken care of and you're being loved, in this case by a mother, essentially it like slows your metabolism down and says, okay, like we need to just go dormant here for a while until we have a caretaker. And I think what I had done for many years, and I'm still in the process of unwinding it, like I'm still working, like I'm still, I think in some senses, like have some fear in my own self that I'm working on getting out. But if we do that, then we push people away. And I think we like psychologically, emotionally starve. I'm going like real deep, real fast. up a little bit, Aaron. Christ. <laughs> no, it's great. It's so great. And it's such an important topic. It's so important because we're all like in the world of Instagram, in the world of external validation, which is such an easy dopamine hit. It's so easy to get that, right? The likes or the post something and get the instant gratification back. We neglect what we really need internally. So what has been that process for you to heal and then get access to that? Because I think a lot of people are like, well, where do I even get that? Like, where do I go to create that feeling? And I strongly believe it comes internally first. But let's say you didn't have a family that coddled you and loved you growing up. And then later in life, 
you're not surrounded yet by a community that loves you unconditionally yet, or you're not in an environment that supports you yet. Yeah. I think meditation is a really like very obvious and cliche answer, but I think that it's helpful. Like I was just doing an interview with Dr. G, Dr. Gumet. I don't know. He's amazing. He's from Lebanon. He's, he's incredible. Dr. G, not Dr. Gundry. There's another Dr. G out there. He founded a thing called or created the name for a thing called the, the mycobiome. So instead of the microbiome, it's more like the funguses, the way that that affects your biome. And in that conversation, we were talking about starving out the bad, in quotations, bacteria in your system so that you can then end up reseeding with the other beneficial bacteria and the, you know, you're weeding out the stuff that's hurting you. And I think it's a similar thing with our thoughts. Like we're, you know, we have like 60 to 80,000 thoughts per day and 90 odd percent of them are just repetitions of the past. And we're just like, we're like running on, what they call us automatons. Yeah. 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 We're just like running in these habitual patterns. Mm -hmm. And so I think a huge thing that any person can benefit from is first figuring out like, what are the patterns that I'm running all day long? And I think the most efficient way to do that is to start a meditation practice. It could be 20 minutes. I think doing like, if you only do 10 minutes, I think it's fine, but you're just in the muck. You know, there's something that happens once you get past like 25, 30 minutes that all of a sudden, all of that autopilot stuff, it finally starts, for me, because my brain's, you know, jacked up, I think, there's all, it finally starts to come down enough that you're like, oh, okay, this is what we're, this is meditation, I get it. But most of us just kind of stick around at that, like, we'll do like a little eight minute, like, pick me up. Mm -hmm. Better than nothing, but I recommend longer sets, which might be terrible advice for some people, but I found that, like I did a Vipassana, it's a 10 day, you know, you just sit there for 10 days, essentially. And um, that really changed my life. Just in the, being able to to step back and starve those thoughts enough, and they're still alive, and they're still they're still you know kicking your ass, my ass for most of the time. But to be able to step back enough to really kind of gain like some separation from them, as opposed to them being all consuming, that was a huge deal. And then operating from like stepping back enough where you can see them and you don't react in the moment from them. Yeah, which is the most powerful thing to recognize is that they're just a thought and they don't actually have to drive your behavior and you can replace it. Yep. And not being attached to the positive in quotations or negative in quotations, you know, because there's no such thing, you know, so that's something that, that during the, Gwenka is the guy that leads the, he's like in this little video screen up in the corner, he does these discourses at night and you're just so happy to hear anybody say anything. You do noble silence during the time so you can't look at anybody. Have you done one? No, I've done three days. But we were having this conversation the other day around a bunch of people. We were talking about why 40 minutes was so powerful because you you basically create this space where you can finally disconnect from yourself and witness yourself from basically like a third eye view. And I've done three days. Cool. Well, that's similar. Three days is the hardest. Really, you, you worked harder than most people if you did three days because it starts to get easier. Most people quit at three days or six days. Yeah, I think people are... So, and I think people, because if you view a thought as good or bad people are so terrified of their thoughts because then they go down the shame and guilt feelings of having those thoughts. But if you view them as neutral and don't attach yourself or energy to them, that's when the healing can actually start to take place. I think there's a balance between, because you can start to become kind of like detached from the joy of life in general. So I think there's another direction in there that might be kind of like a purgatory phase of like, okay, like there is something to smiling and enjoying an ice cream cone you know, or sex or whatever you're doing. Like, yes, you don't have to be purely neutral all the time. Like, it's okay to freak out and jump and like, ah, but just realize that the temporality of that, 
you know, and be equally okay if someone smacks the ice cream cone out of your hand. You know, and I think that that's what the meditation practice is because during that time, you, sometimes you might get a, a tingling sensation on your top of your forehead or, you know, you might all of a sudden have this like bunga sensation, they call it, where it's like physical dissolution in your body you know, just turns to stardust. And you're like, wow, like I'm super spiritual. Like I did it, you know, and you'll have that feeling of like, wow, like I've arrived. And then literally in five minutes, you'll have the worst shooting pain in your hip ever. And you're like just sweating bullets, you know, and then all of a sudden, pow, that goes away completely. Oh, I did it. You know, and that's where most of us are at with our day-to-day mental experience. You know, it's kind of like the stock market or the housing market. It's like one day it's up. If you look at the stock market in like a momentary basis, it would just spin your world out of control. You know, but if you can pull back and look at the long-term progression of what's happening, I think that's the most important thing. But most of us are so obsessed with looking at things at second-by-second, moment-by-moment basis. And then we're just at the whim of uh, this fluctuating, erratic market. And our world, or what we believe our world to be, the illusion of it, is dictated what's in front of us versus what our internal experience could be. Could be, yeah. Ramdas, Ramdas, he's, I've been obsessed with him recently. Yeah, he's so good. He's a good one. It was like my entry point into spirituality when oh, I was good. a kid and I'm obsessed. Yeah, so one of the things he mentioned in there, you know, especially like men and vulnerability is like, a, it's like an interesting subject. And he said that, you know, so we do a lot of things to seem invulnerable. A lot of things I already mentioned. And he said, what you think you are is highly vulnerable, but what you are is completely invulnerable. You're like, you are the whole ocean, you know, but we think that we're this like little cup above the ocean. We don't want to break the cup, you know, but if he recommends people for the sake of essentially like preparation for death to put more intention into the soul, essentially is what he's describing. And that's how he describes it. You know, so if we're living through our soul, more often than it's kind of like we're it's like insurance you know we don't have that potential for letdown and then when when you get to the point where you leave this body he says like taking off a an old shoe or changing an outfit you know but the ego layer that thinks that i am this outfit and i am my hummer and i am i don't know hummer that's a weird example but you know my my (laughs) range rover you know and i am my house and i am my job and i am my title and totally. i am my book and i am my you know all these yeah. things and i am a wife and i'm yeah. mom yeah. and even even those things which bring a lot of joy are what we're identifying as our identity mhm but the more time that one can invest so says ramdas and lots of other folks into that layer below that that like soul layer the more you're just it's just insurance to not have a huge letdown at some point mhm one of the most powerful things I heard is that we spend our whole life attempting to get these things, these external things, and then we spend the end of our life letting them all go. And it's in the detachment in which we actually grow from the things that we so deeply wanted or did identify as who we are. And I think that the more we're attached to them, the closer we are to losing them, actually. I think in life, like the more we attach ourselves to anything, the more things just completely blow up in our face. I mean, my dad is a perfect example. He's going through at the end of his life a bankruptcy and his entire life, he built this business and everything that was his identity. And now he's having to literally detach from all of it at the end of his life. And what's been his saving grace is impact and creating a new business around coaching and celebrating life and helping other people. And so I think it's so powerful to watch and just see that nothing's going to be around forever. So what is it that we want to create in in this moment? And something that I love about you is 
every time I see you, which is so funny because when we met, you thought I hated you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> That's good. Which we will talk about in a second. <laughs> good. But, you know, every time I see you, you're like playful and exciting, which this is funny because so when I met you, I was very, very sick with breast implant illness. And I didn't even know that I was like being miserable. Like I was just a miserable human because I was just not well in my body. And I was creating this illusion to the world that I could go out and be happy and excited to be alive. And really for several months, I thought I was literally dying. And it's funny because we met around that time when I originally got, a, got sick and like two, like a year later, you're like, I just thought you hated me. And I'm like, no, I was just a miserable person. I love you. It's important to cut people some slack. <laughs> yeah, cut me some slack. Cut me some slack. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what people are going through. But I was always so in awe of your childlike wonder, your play, how you don't wear shoes anywhere, how you dance, move. You're essentially describing like a dirty hippie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I take showers. I use organic vegan deodorant. Um, but I'm curious why we as humans, well, I had an excuse. I've been playing a lot more. Good. Right? You've seen I it. I see it. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. But I'm curious as humans. What is it? Is it is it is it our ego? Is it we're scared to be seen? Is it why are we not playing? Like what is it that's preventing us from being embodied in our body and joyful in the experience of life? I think play has been shamed in our culture. You know, it seems like even as you're describing that, I'm like mocking it says, Oh, you're describing essentially like this counterculture, dirty, hippie, whatever thing. Which that's not I mean, you didn't add that on there, but nonetheless I think a lot of people put that into that category. You know, if you're a playful person, then you're not going to have your shit together and you're not going to be successful in like a monetary linear type perspective and you won't be able to take care of you. Like it's life's not about play. You got to be serious. And you'll get somewhere and you'll achieve something. You'll achieve. Yeah, I think achieve is a curse word. I was thinking about that recently. Like I think so much of kind of disconnect or hardening or callousing or just like having my head down and being on the A train is what I've, I've heard it called before from like family members. Which is really sad. I, I, you know, if if someone wasn't on like the path, the A train that I was, I was. This is the vision. This is where I'm going. Then I wasn't really interested. You know, I think that within that, you can you can block out so much amazing, beautiful, heart opening, expansive, healing moments because they don't fall in the, in my case, the A train. You know, and you just have the tunnel vision on. And yeah, I think in large part the concept of being a playful person is associated with being maybe disorganized and being childish in the in a in a negative sense as opposed to a positive sense but really like you are disorganization you know your liver's bigger than the stomach and the heart's off to the side and like your body's asymmetrical and there's this whole symphony of cacophony and just wow like you're just this whirlwind of swirls and electrons and you know like you're this walking explosion you know so like internally that's exactly what we are and then externally, we attempt to kind of contain all that because it makes us feel like we have our shit together. And then oftentimes what that turns into, you know, if you go up to the top of a tall building, you might feel it sway like multiple feet side to side. You know, so you might go into that and be like, this building is unsafe. Mm. I feel unstable in here. You're like, no, 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 that swaying is exactly what keeps you alive. And so in our physical bodies, if we're too stuck in that linearity and keep my shit together and zip up my tie and okay, I'm here, here I am, socially acceptable version of myself, and you don't allow yourself to spill out a little bit, eventually you'll probably pop. Totally. Yeah. 
Totally, 100%. (laughs) I know that story well. And the funny thing is, like, for most of my life, I thought I was playing. But, like, looking back on my life, because I I was always about breaking the norms. I was like, I do not want anything. I don't even want to get married. I don't want to go to college. Like, all my whole life was just like, I want to enjoy the present moment. We don't know how long we have. And even looking back on my life, I'm like, fuck, I was on the sidelines a lot. I was half in, half out, but not fully heart open, complete show myself to the world. And I feel like I'm getting there. It's still taking time, like you said, to break down those walls. What do you think it takes to break them down entirely? Because I think most of this stuff can be done in a snap. And typically it takes like a near-death experience or maybe sometimes go to Peru and drink some random tea out of the jungle. Or oftentimes it's funny how it's something needs to bring us to our knees in order for us to have that change. But maybe there's other ways. Yeah. I think I've had those near-death moments in my life where I got in a car accident in Jamaica and I thought that was like the last day of my life. And um, that brought me to witnessing how I was living and really wanting to fully embrace life to its fullest. But I I think for me, there's been a wound around just judgment, like judgment of other women being in the fashion industry in comparison, trying to get ahead. And if, like you said, if you're not tightened up you know, heels on, lipstick first, like you feel like that's going to discredit you as a person or sharing your story fully and vulnerably online, that will discredit you. Like you won't get opportunities someday. And I think we're living in a different world now where people actually respect that. And so I feel grateful that that's, you know, that that's showing, showing up for me. I'm curious for you. The irony of all that that I find interesting is that, so there's this need to maintain connection with the tribe because if not you'll starve alone in the woods so you want to be tribe-like and then at the same time evolution is dependent on those of us willing to be different you know and go outside of that that pale of normalcy and you know so if you're too much like the tribe the tribe will find you mundane and boring and disregard you but if you're too much outside of the tribe the tribe will crucify you and you know burn you at the stake and like nope you gotta get up So there's this, I think, this interesting layer where it's like you can respect the present paradigm, you know, and not just completely shit on it, which is something that I I have noticed myself, I think, kind of like misspeak in the past where it's like, oh, that's kind of like disrespectful to the present social zeitgeist, the the way that we, our thoughts and everything are organized. Like, I think like, you know, respect it and love it and appreciate it and realize that the ones that within that tribe that actually will be valued the most are the people that do push the boundaries. So I think it's, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting dance. You know, it's the same thing with like physicality in your in your body. You know, it's like you want to push yourself just to the point of something being a hermetic stressor. You know, hermetic and like like a use stress, something a stress that's good for you makes you stronger. And if you push past that point, then you know the wheels fall off. You know, so it's I think that there's a real art and craft and perhaps science to living your life at that border of of comfort, but not blowing it out entirely. Yeah, I was thinking about that when I was thinking about this podcast, because I, when I started diving into your book, I was starting to recognize like, why do I slouch? Why am I not? And and from getting your band too, and starting to do the exercises and so forth. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, why am I slouching? Like, what is this story about? And so I traced it back to like my childhood and growing up, I was always the tallest kid. Like I was always taller than the boys. And so I was super insecure because I'm like, well, all the other girls hadn't like sprouted up. I was like the tallest one. And so everyone was like, you have to play basketball. You are going to be like such this amazing star. And I'm like, I don't want to 
be taller than everyone. I just want to be normal. And so I traced it back to that. And I've realized that my posture and how I even present myself to the world is very much driven by that story. And then later in life, obviously showing myself and self-worth and self-esteem and self-confidence and so forth. And so I'm curious how you interpret like the mind-body connection and how you support people in shifting their posture and creating this alignment and why it's so important. Because I know for myself and doing the research now through knowing you, when your body isn't aligned, it impacts your mood, which impacts for me specifically how I eat, how I take care of myself. And so we can no longer address that the mind and the body are separate. They're 100% connected. And now I'm noticing through your work, like even my posture, how I I'm on my phone, how I'm with my computer. You came in my office and we're like, we have to revamp this. You need to sit on the floor. You need to move. You can't. Yeah. This is this That's is what I'm, I'm realizing. I'm a little bit, I need to tone things down a little bit. I think I come in, I start turning your knobs. <laughs> I come into your office like, nope, that chair will not do. And no, no, no. It's perfect. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. I'm like, thank God. Because like, I teach this stuff and yet I'm so, un- I was so unaware before we met about what I was doing because of my own subconscious patterning. Yeah. What is that Marion Williamson quote? I'm all hopped on Marion Williamson because I did, a, I did a podcast with her recently that like made me poop my pants in anxiety. Really? Yeah. I was freaked out because I don't know a lot about politics. So like compounded with Marianne, someone that is highly revered and respected in the world. And I've followed her stuff for a long time. And then like, okay, now we're going to be discussing some topic that I'm like pretty much pretty derelict in. Wait, she were interviewing her? I was interviewing her. And you were pooping your pants? Oh, yeah. I'm a pants pooper. (laughs) (laughs) I get anxious. I realized that with writing the book, how much I care about what people's opinions are and such. It's a a good practice. And that's, you had another thing, but the process of creating the book in general, I found there was all sorts of, I'm completely tangentially sidetracking, but this is, I think is just interesting. There was all these other layers of education that I got from it outside of doing the research for all the chapters and, you know, just the process of creating the book. I think it was almost like it was like a spiritual journey in a way, you know, and that was one of the big things is being completely content with expressing that this is the best I can do. You know, so the book is different than an Instagram post or a podcast or anything, because in this podcast, we can say some stuff, you could cut it out, maybe Um, you can not release the conversation at all, or you could there's all this kind of give like take back with it. And we're here at your house. It's a Tuesday or whatever day now is. And, you know, like, oh, we're just hanging talking. You know, it's free flow. The book's like, no, this is the best I can do. And I never do that in my life. You know, I always preface almost everything I do with like, oh, well, I was tired that day. Or like, oh, I got this ankle thing. Or, oh, I mean, I didn't really care about that. It's like, no, I do care. I just always cushion myself with I don't really care because I'm afraid of people's judgment of anything that's like actually more a real expression. And so it's been an interesting thing because I'm on the cover of the damn book. You know, it's, yeah, it's my name there. No taking it back. There's no taking it back. It's out. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, I think like we were talking earlier, which gives me anxiety about writing a book is like, this is who you are today, but who will you be in six months or who will I be in six months? And so... The beautiful thing is like, I have this belief, it's a spiritual belief, but I have this belief that like you co-wrote this book with everyone who reads it. So like, there's no such thing as time. So if you believe in that truth, everyone who catches as, as in, in the illusion of time, as people go and buy the book, they actually were back in you know time with you co-writing it because they're manifesting it for the experience that they need to have in that moment. 
and you co-wrote it with all of human history. Human, right. You know, and I had a, a co-writer help me with things and I had a graphic designer do pictures and I had an editor and I had a proofreader and I had a publisher and I had a, an agent that go back and forth with ideas. And I had all of the research from literally freaking thousands of years of people going into various different research that now I can just pull up on Google. You know, so to think, to be as, as pompous as to think that you wrote a book, I'm like, no, <laughs> you didn't write a book. <laughs> you know, you just faces on the cover. That doesn't mean anything. That's just, <laughs> so I could also pull it back and be like, okay, like we wrote a book. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> it's amazing. You wrote a book with thousands of people that are going to read it. Thousands of people. That, yeah. Well, We're yeah, now going to do this online method. It. Yeah. So to go back to posture stuff. question number one, yeah. we have only gotten to question number one, but yeah, like how do we make it easy to get back into movement and making that rich and part of our lives? And I totally get it. Like get off your phones, don't have your neck down at your computer all day, but some of the stuff people have to go to work. So like, well, the underlying layer of all that stuff is again, it's not what you're doing. It's not the phone. It's not your computer. It's not the food that you're eating. It's not the tough firmness of the bed that you're on. All that, it's it's one, how do you inhabit yourself as you're doing all of those things? And then the layer under, so what does physical inhabitants mean? You know, the way that you sit, the way that you stand, the way that you walk, the way that you breathe, the way that you think, because all that spills back into all of those other things I just said. You know, that's the underlying layer of all of this stuff. It has nothing to do with the phone. You know, we're addicted to the phone because we want a hug, I think. You know, we want, we want human connection, we want community, we want the real, like when I'm actually with people that I love and care about, like even like at the party or whatever you call it that, that you guys threw recently. I didn't look at my phone the whole night. I was there for, I don't know how long, five hours, something like that. I might've looked at my phone pretty much just to exchange numbers twice, you know, but it's, it's the time that, and even people take pictures and stuff. I'm like, ah, it's like, this is like, a, this is like an opportunity to not do that. But then get me alone in my apartment and I'll notice my, my hand just like, it's like a, it's almost like a ghost. Like I don't even have control of it. It's just reaching out to check Instagram notifications. <laughs> you know what? That's so interesting. Cause I think it's, it's where your wounding pattern is. Cause I see people in a party. We didn't really have, a, I wouldn't call this our, our event, a party. I'd call it like an experience, but on their phone the whole time because of their wounding pattern of being scared to connect. And so I guess it's important. <laughs> To recognize where the wounding pattern is coming from and in relationship to, yeah, paying attention to like, when are you gravitating to numbing your emotion through the phone? Yeah, I think my heart is hungry for connection, you know, and so that's because I've had the repeated pattern throughout history of, of loneliness, which is kind of like, a, again, that's kind of like, a, especially for a man to say, that's a very vulnerable, it feels like a failure. You know, to, to think that like, oh, because again, it comes back to like, oh, I'm not worthy of connection because I'm not doing life well enough or something like that. I feel strongly that when there is an opportunity for connection right now, it's like my, I'm like thirsty. You know, I think it's, it's taken, you know, I don't know how long, a while to recognize that there is like a, a thirst. So in, in moments like that, I'm like drinking. <laughs> totally. Like high on life. <laughs> I try to be. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think it's, it depends on the group as well. Yeah, it's important that we come together and we recognize like when is it that we contract in our body? When do we hide? Are we in the back row? Why are we in the back row? What is the story for that? Yeah. So that's so with the postural stuff, it it, it is so in the book I, I describe these the I call them the, the postural archetypes. There's five of them. And essentially it breaks down how each person as you walk them move around the world, watch them move around the world, 
each person kind of has a certain way. It's like their operating system or like the mold that they kind of fit themselves in. You know, some people are like the, like resting bitch face. They're like, every time I see her, she's kind of like, I, she's got this face. She's like, it's like before when I thought you hated me a little bit, but you were under stress. There was a lot of variables there. I should have been more compassionate. But nonetheless, in that situation, some people are kind of chronically anxious. And the way they move around the world, like they lean in anxiety. You know, if their schedule's not completely filled up to the brim, then again, it means that they're not doing life correctly. You know, if there's like that spacious, there's like, oh God, what am I going to do with my time? The mopey person is the person, each of these have postural translations. You know, the mopey person is the one that it, a lot of people are chronically in because it's where our heads are being pulled forward to look into the phone, our shoulders are rolled forward, our knees are dropping in, our feet are collapsing in because we're on chairs, we're, ugh, we're in that kind of like collapsed position all the time. If you, there's an interesting artist, I don't remember his name, but he took a, images of a bunch of people with phones, look at their phone. And then he photoshopped out the phone and what they, what you see with that image is just a bunch of sad people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so powerful. It's like simple, but so powerful. Oh yeah. Most, yeah. I think most of the things are that are like really meaningful. You're like, oh, it's like free and there and in front of me. And now, you know, the things where it's like, oh, you have to pay $997 and fly across the world to learn the, the technique or whatever. It's like, dude, most of the things are in your backyard. You know, like it would be probably wise for you to like hang off of a tree branch. Totally. I mean, that's the thing. (laughs) People are like the number one excuse I get is like, oh, well, that's for celebrities. Celebrities have access. They have the cash. And I'm like, most things that tribal, like in the world where you actually travel and you see joyful communities and tribes of people who are thriving, they are not spending thousands of dollars on the newest like I don't know, supplement, they're in nature learning and accessing the wisdom around them. It's not, we're so overcomplicating it. Yeah. The, the, what we do, I mean, I get to connect with a reasonable number of like influential people in Los Angeles doing body work and, you know, things of that nature. And, and something that I've noticed in my travels in like living in Morocco or living in, you know, hitchhiking around South America being with like tribes in Peru and shit compared to these people that have everything. When you have everything, it allows the possibility for you to outsource your biological function to machines and technology and all that. And your body, your biology, it's like, it's super confusing for it because that's, you have all of these systems that have been innate in your biology since the beginning of ever that, okay, when I go for a walk, it kind of turns on. It's like, imagine your, your body is like one of those wind-up batteries, mm-hmm. like flashlights. Mm-hmm. You know, so, okay, cool. It's, it's been instilled in me since the beginning of like being a single-celled organism that a little bit of wiggle all of a sudden generates some electricity and my body, woo, it feels good. You know, now instead of doing that, you know, maybe some celebrity that has lots of money, they can get some electro e-stim thing and plug that up to their quads and just they can just sit there stare at their phone while their quads get electrified Mm -hmm. your body's like nope not gonna work (laughs) you need you need to go get some sun you need need to take a walk you need to pet a puppy because they were probably running around in some brush and sniffing poop and whatnot and now all of a sudden they're, they're recolonizing your microbiome and exposing you to all that stuff so you can actually become a strong robust human being you know, so the people that have the least oftentimes are the healthiest because they're forced to leverage their own internal biology for fun, even for example. 
You know, if you don't have a lot of money, it's very likely you'll take a girl on a, a date to like the beach, you know, as opposed to going to some artificially lit restaurant with air conditioned air and probably some, you know, and you're sitting in this hunched over chair position the whole time and probably still checking your phone and texting your friends that the date sucks. Yeah, sweet. That experience costs you $227 compared to $4 to drive down to the beach. And maybe you were spontaneous and you took all your clothes off and you jumped in the ocean. Now you're doing cold thermogenesis. Oh, that's cryotherapy. You know, so you could have done, you could have spent $120 and taking your date to a cryo chamber place, you know, but meanwhile, again, you're exposed to all that artificial stuff that, that confuses you at a cellular level. What your body does not get confused by is walking in the woods. It's so simple, yet it is shocking to me. And that's why I think there's also this disconnection between the mind and the body, like you said, especially I feel like with weight loss, because we're using all these artificial tools to lose the weight, but then our mind's not keeping up with that or understanding how the body's losing weight. And then it gets all confused and puts the weight back on because of starvation or survival or I don't know what you would call that. But. Yeah, it's, your body is too complicated for you to be able to juggle all of the variables. Nature automatically puts you back into place. Another thing in the, in the, the book I break down, it's uh, call them archetypal positions of repose, so postural positions of repose. So repose being like the other side of the coin of activity is your inactivity, which you're always active. You know, you're sitting there in meditation, it's active, you're like things are going on in there. You know, you're sitting watching TV, you're staring at your cell phone, you're driving someplace. That's an activity. That's all, they're all forms of your fitness. Your, your body doesn't know the difference of whether you're in a yoga studio or a Pilates studio or on your couch watching TV. Your body just is always in this continual construction process. So the other side of the coin of fitness activity is what do you do during that inactivity time? So if you're at your house, something you could do is like put a comfy rug down on the ground and put some floor cushions like you guys actually have set up, throw a yoga mat down, get a foam roller down there, maybe some balls to like step on and roll on. You put that area near a window so you have natural light coming in and spend some time just literally like laying your body on that comfy rug. As you're doing that, now you're opening up those hip flexors that were chronically stuck in that sitting position. You're opening up your viscera, your organs, you're moving fluids. Every time you get up from the ground, you have to go all the way down and all the way up. So you're taking your ankles to range of motion, your knees, your hips, you're moving your, your pelvic floor, you're circulating lymphatic fluid. Like your body does all of it. But if you are a wealthy celebrity, you might have, I mean, not to poke on wealthy celebrities. I think they're great. I think all, I love all humans. But if you have access to all of these other things, then it might not make so much sense for you to spend time on the ground because that's like low or poor, dirty, or there might be judgment, you know, whatever, you know, so you'll probably stay up in that really fancy leather sofa thing. That was a long rant. I apologize. Oh, no, I that's think it'd be so cool <laughs> if everyone listening like went to their office on Monday and or whatever day this comes out the next day. And it's like, I'm going to sit on the floor today. How does that sound? And just if everyone created the culture of what we wanted, then it wouldn't be weird to go to work and be like, I actually want to stand up today and have a, a standing desk or I want to sit on the floor. And So weird, the, the word weird is a old English word and it's spelled W-Y-R-D and it means fate. And it means to, at one point it was a really good thing. So it meant to be in control of one's fate. You know, so if you're a weird person, you're killing the game. If you don't consider, like you look around your world like, damn, I'm a little weird. You're probably in a rut. 
and you're probably going in statistically the direction of like Western culture is in large part, was it Mark Twain? He said, there's lies, damn lies, and then statistics. So I also try to like, like step back and be like, just because I read some statistic doesn't mean it's like the thing. But nonetheless, if you do look at the statistics, our culture is in being like Western culture is going towards greater levels of anxiety and greater levels of depression and obesity and diabetes and all of those things. So if you're not weird in that culture, it's likely a mistake. You're likely got to weird up. Right. I think, <laughs> yeah, statistically, if we're going to look at statistics, I think 80% of people have like chronic back pain. Like, yeah, this they'll experience is, that in their life. Or in their life, right. This is insane. And I love the quote. It's what you do when you don't have to determines what you'll be when you no longer can help it. And I think that that's applicable to this. That's what the book's about. Yeah, because what we do today really will impact what happens to us as we age. And there is a point which is sad. And I think people want to avoid and neglect and they're like, that will never be me. And someday when I have all this money, I'm going to be able to fix myself with the new AI technology. And by that time, we'll be able to replace my heart with, you know, a drop of my blood. Like that thinking gets us in trouble down the road. And I think that there is a point of no return. And that's a really sad place to be in and not to focus on that, but to say like, what can I do every single day now to not have to get to that place in the future so I can live this happy, long, beautiful. There's even an, a point of no return with you know, elderly people have parents or grandparents or maybe themselves. You know, I fall and I can't get up. Like fall risk, that's the reason, number one leading reason for elderly needing assisted care is they literally just can't get up off of the ground. You go to a culture that spends time on the ground every day because that's just the nature of their life because it's the nature of every single person's biology. That's where you've come from since the beginning is from the earth. You know, so you squat down by a river to get some water. You squat down to wash your clothes. You squat down to pick up your baby. You squat down to, you know, all of that. Yeah, to farm. And then you sit on your butt for a while. And then maybe you like make some kind of tapestry thing. And then you, that's a part of who you are. And so to have technology be able to outsource that range of motion, eventually it will create a chasm large enough that you're not able to actually make that jump anymore. And now you don't have physical autonomy anymore. Now you're in a really tight spot. And now all of a sudden you need to pay somebody, you know, lots of money to like take care of you. What a defeating sensation that would be, you know? And that's like, for me with my parents, I am emphatically encouraging of them to spend more time on the ground, you know, because I don't want to see that. <laughs> like that would be the, the worst. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's my dad fell actually at the event you were at. At the end. Oh, that was your dad. And it was, it was like heartbreaking. And this whole week, it's been acupuncture and, you know, Epsom salt baths and all these things. And it's been, it's, it's interesting, the synchronicity of this, this talk, because, you know, in the space of, in the, the mindset of falling, he, it is defeat. Like he's been really depressed this week and sad and, you know, frustrated that now he needs our care. And it's just, it's a hard conversation to have, but it's an important conversation to have because in the direction of humanity in which we're going, it's going to be many of us if we don't take the steps. And, and, and I feel like these steps, like you said, are, are not challenging steps to take. Go put your feet in the earth. Yeah. If something Girl. is overly complicated or expensive, there's a good chance you don't need it. Mm. <laughs> That's just, quite a well. It's just the way it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thinking of like, I almost had like a moment of like tearing up talking thinking about my my parents not being able to get up from the ground 
yeah, like maintaining pride, I think is such an important thing. And being proud to be in your body, you know, feeling like you f- have full control of everything to lose that, like what else beyond like your health at some point will be the most important thing to you without a doubt. You know, so it's like whether you allow to spend your life on credit, you know, and be like, okay, cool. I'm like young and hot and have technology and I can like pay people to do that stuff for me now. There's no, it's like, it's imagine just like switch around toothpaste. This isn't really a great analogy. At some point you have to pay that credit, that credit back. You know, so for the moment it might feel like I'm getting away with something, but you don't get away with anything. You know, you, you like do the work now and then that will continue to be this nice, consistent level of work throughout your life and joy and all that. Or you try to maybe offset that and then at some point you're going to have a lot of work to do. And it's a lot easier to do that work while you're, long, while you're young and while you, you, know, you actually have full mobility of all these parts. The further you get away from that, the harder it becomes. It's not to say that it's impossible to get back. Like your dad, there's so many amazing things that he could do that would, that would put him into a place of even greater autonomy. But yeah, it's, you can't, every time you outsource those things that naturally you would do in a more natural environment, it's essentially like biologic, it's like you're spending on your biological credit card. Right. Like the credit card, you don't have the cash in the bank. You don't Just, have the cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, then you got to file bankruptcy. Yeah. When you're 60 or 70, 80, you know, nine, like ideally my goal is a silly word, but my intention would be to be however old I don't, I'm not attached to what age I'm in this body, you know, call it a hundred. I'd like to be a hundred and still be doing Qigong and still be dancing and still be having sex and still be drinking tea on the ground and still out rock climbing. And, and that's to not have that belief system I think is, is crazy. You know, to accept that I'm going to come to a point where all of a sudden the wheels just fall off. I think that's because we've accepted a broken model as being reality. And I don't think enough people are inspiring others that it's possible. Like Craig's father is 80 and they were in Craig. This is my husband, Craig. He, um, he has his dad come work out with him three times a week. And he just makes it a priority and they go mountain biking and he's 80 years old and he's still in great shape. And I'm like, that's what you need to be sharing online to inspire other people. Because I think there's just a belief and you go to the doctor and they're like, well, that's normal. It's normal that you're aging. And so when we create that story that it's normal because we're comparing ourselves to, you know, a very sick culture, then we don't have a reference point that there is something else. Yeah. And you need community as well. I mean, that's like the, the, the longest longitudinal study was done by Harvard and it was like started like 1936, I think was the beginning of it. And they tracked students their whole lives. And then they also tracked their, their offspring or their kids to see, you know, what, you know, they'd come in like every, I think it was like every couple of weeks. I don't know how often they would see them, but pretty regularly. And so just check up, check, you know, blood pressure and see what their BMI and see what their activities are, relationships and job and all that. And at the end of that, I mean, they're still doing it, but what they, what they found was the thing that was the highest indicator of health and well-being was their relationships. So it didn't matter. The people that are, you know, orthorexically buying all the supplements and getting all the fitness machines and gear and like they're like biohacking and quantified selfing themselves. And all, that's great if it works for you. It's awesome. But if you're alone at your house tracking your blood pressure, like 
it would be your blood pressure would do much better by you going out with some friends and like taking a walk. Totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> like, totally. You don't need to track it for it to work. Totally. <laughs> I'm in full agreement. And because the impact of the loneliness and the resent of other people having community and the fear that you won't have it, like those emotions are impacting your body probably more or there's no counter of like, there's nothing you can do that's probably countering those emotions in the long run. And so those emotions are impacting your body just as much as probably really unhealthy food. Yeah. And you got to be, I wonder how many people, I think it's like, I work out at, uh, sometimes at, at the Gold's Gym in Venice, the Mecca for uh, bodybuilding. And something that I, I noticed that is interesting is it feels like most people, I don't notice this because this is me doing it. And I'm like, oh, I think other people have done this too. You want everyone to see you, but you don't want anyone to see that you're seeing them, you know, because if I'm checking you out, it kind of like gives you power. (laughs) But if you're checking me out, then I maintain the power, you know, so really there's just a bunch of blind people walking around assuming everyone's staring at them, but everyone's running that same pattern. So really everybody's actually just alone. Totally. Well... (laughs) So, I wonder in those public situations, you know, where especially in LA, it's 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 much more virulent in LA. Just like moving up the social hierarchy and being with the right person and looking over your shoulder, like, oh, that person came in the room. I need to swap, freaking DM them something, like make some kind of connection thing. All of that, as one is operating with that mindset, I think the whole entire time, it's almost like. Um, there's like a restriction for air and like actual real meaningful connection. You know, so there's sometimes you can be around a group of a hundred of the coolest people in the world, but you never actually allowed any love in the whole entire time because you're actually closed off. You know, so I don't think it's about the quantity. You know, if you have one friend or maybe it's yourself, maybe it's God, you know, that's like a lot of people that go like prison. Like my dad, he was, he went to jail for smoking crack and all sorts of weird, weird stuff. And then, in that experience, he, you know, rediscovered Jesus, you know, and I'm, I'm like very much at this point in my life, quite agnostic, you know, or whatever. I'm just open to, you know, whatever makes sense at the time. If, if God comes in the room right now, I'd be like, God damn. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Um, really, I think God is in the room. And I think that, you know, you are God and this bed is God and everything is just that. But so gaining that relationship because in that situation he was in prison and he was alone and then he got out and he couldn't afford anything but beans and you know he was too proud to get food stamps and so he just like sit at his house by himself in Hershey, Pennsylvania in like the mid of you know cold ass winter and in those moments it forces you to open yourself up to something higher or you'll kill yourself you know and so i think that we can have these temporary illusions of connection in the form of social media, in the form of fancy dinner parties, in the form of all of those things. But if you don't have that base layer of love and openness and connection, then you will continue to have a, a sensation of probably internal contraction or, 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 or hungriness or starving until you just open that shit up. Yeah. And that requires courage. I like flashing back to when I used to be a member of the David Barton gym. And if you don't know the David Barton gym, it's like a club and it's dark and no one can see you. And so you can hide, like literally hide. And so for me, during years of wounding and not wanting to be seen by anyone and ashamed of how my body looked and so forth, I was like, this is great for me. And then at other points in my life, 
wasn't a great gym and it what didn't feel didn't feel in alignment but i think we also create our environment based on our wounding patterns and it takes the courage to step out of that and say well why am i attracting this experience and, and for other people they love going to the david barton and they have community there and so forth i'm not sh- shitting on david barton at all i'm just saying based on my own wounding pattern it was what i chose can i mention something yes so i think it's back to the the, like this is kind of what the book is about as well was like your how your environment forms your thoughts and how you're also it's just two ends of the same rope there's no separation between you and your environment you know we're all interacting we have this belief system that you know i am separate from everything else but really in fact you know right now you and i are breathing in each other's bacteria and you know, we're, oh like, we're also like, a tuna- <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Like, you're, like, we're like colonizing each other's microbiome just by being in this room together. Like we are a little bit more each other than we were 45 minutes ago, like without a doubt. You know, we're like attuning and our, our heart rates are attuning to each other. And it's in order for us to have rapport and connection, we have to become synced up with each other. You know, and then we'll walk out of this room and we'll be a little bit more like each other. And that's like the Jim Rohn quote, like you become the product of the five people you spend the most time with. And when you have sex with someone, you become more like them because you're microbiome. And that's why people who are in like 10-year relationships, it's so hard to get out of. Yeah. Because you literally have become... getting out of yourself. Totally. It's like you're (laughs) having to cut cut off who you are. Yeah. It's kind of like working with your thoughts. Their microbiome is now... Yeah, telogeny is a 50 cent term for what happens when a man ejaculates in a female. I was going to say something more like street vulgar. I'm like, what am I supposed to say about ejaculate is the term. That's what you say. And she literally takes on his DNA. And so this has been done, I think it was like mosquitoes, they did this. I don't think it's actually been done in humans. But essentially the idea, and this is what, what tribal cultures have thought like since forever and a lot of still do. The offspring of that female isn't just from that one sperm and that one male. It's actually an aggregate of all the people that have, have been sleeping with, with her. And there's a, some places, I don't remember this. I was reading a book about this. Um, I don't remember the term. But that was when a woman would get pregnant, the belief would be that during that nine, 10 month period of pregnancy, all the people that were sleeping with her would go into the creation of that child. Which so it would be in of benefit for her to sleep with the jock and sleep with the good hunter and sleep with the good chef and sleep with the smart guy and all that. And then what's interesting with that is it potentially actually could create what some could conceive to be a healthier upbringing because now you have this tribal upbringing where it's like we all love the child, you know. So the child's crying, I got it. You know, the child you know they, they wants to play, cool, sweet, let's play with it. You know, so now you have all these people playing with that child. And the child really, you know, they don't learn that. It's called a theory. What is it called? The theory of self, I think is what it's called when a a child comes off of the mom's teat and theory of mind. And so when they come off of that, you're like, okay, I am me and mom is there. Before that, I am mom. Before that, I am environment. You know, in the reality, you're always mom and you're always environment. You know, but in, in these tribal cultures, and I think any culture could do this, I think that belief system that I am separate, it's not like in our culture, it's like fast forwarded. You know, oh, the baby's crying. Well, he needs to learn how to suck it up. You know, whereas in, in, in many other places, like the baby's crying. Cool. Let's hang out with him. Right. <laughs> let's know, come like, closer. Let's come closer. Let's touch him. Let's play. Like, let's be with the baby. I've noticed that so much too, even with with friendship and connection and so forth. And even in p- partnership and in my marriage, it's like there was a process of learning. Like when I'm sad, that means come closer. That doesn't mean like leave and hide and avoid. 
we don't know how to do and we don't know how to hold space or we don't know how we want to like either fix it or avoid. And so this process, especially in my marriage has been learning, like you can hold space for someone while they're just sad and be in that space. And it's, it's okay that they're sad. That doesn't mean you're at fault. It doesn't mean the world's coming. Well, it's like, imagine like a volcano is, is oozing out lava and you're like, oh no, it's bad. Like cork it, like get it in there, get it back, like sweep up the lava and put it back in the hole. You know, cause that's like socially unacceptable for the, the, the volcano to ooze lava down the hill and destroy trees. Gosh, we need to we need to let people be sad. <laughs> so there's no lava yeah. plugging. That was there's a guy called John Dr. John Sarno who wrote a book called uh, Mind Over Back Pain. And have you ever heard of this one? Not Mind Over Back Pain. Mind Over Back is interesting. So it's like we have the same same publisher, which was very exciting to me because his is like seminal book and like the mind body kind of connection thing, which I think is great. Hopefully, Align Method ends up being that's my ego speaking. And being in a similar realm, 20 years, that's my ego's goal is for that to be the case. That it's like, there's some young punk that's like, oh man, the live method is a similar thing. Anyways, ego's shutting down for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Something he was talking about in that book that was, I thought was pretty cool was he considers most, pretty much like most all, like 95% of chronic pain that people experience is some form of psycho-emotional pain. And one of the things he drew back to essentially was that exact moment that as a kid, you learn that you're having feelings, these emotions, you don't know what they are, you don't know where they're coming from, you don't know how to express them, and they're just kind of oozing out of you. And then all of a sudden, at some point in, you, in your life, you learn that that's not acceptable, and you have to stuff that back in. He, he, in that book, claims, amongst other things, that that's the beginning of chronically held pain manifesting itself, as having deeply held contractions because you're not, you have repressed anger, or you have repressed sadness, or you have repressed something. So if you can live in a body that is not holding on to repressed anything, and you just accept all of your parts, you accept your anus, and you accept your vagina, and you accept your cock, and you accept your love, and you accept your shame, and you accept your anger, and you accept everything, because there's nothing that's shame. What a crazy, asinine, insane idea that there's some part of you to, sh- to be ashamed of. 100%. It's, it's, it, when you think of it from a simplistic statement like that, it makes absolutely no sense that we would be shaming any part of our beautiful expression of life. But yet, culturally, it's what drives people to buy things. And so, yet marketers continue to use it as a way to make money. And then it becomes part of our subconscious and becomes part of our belief system. And then our habits are driven by it. How would you recommend moving through it? Like, what's meditation? What are what are your things? Mm, like, if you take like, your pants off, <laughs> run around naked, get naked, get it out, get it out there, sun your bum. If there's parts of you, and that take your pants off could be a metaphor, but like, if there's something that you're ashamed of, talk about it today. You know, go find a trusted person that you love and care about, and if there's something in there, I think it's what happens with it is that could be like the thin edge of the the wedge, you know, where it's like, okay, cool. Like I started talking about this one thing that kind of made my sphincters tighten up and made me feel a little uncomfortable and sweaty. And now I said that and all of a sudden it doesn't have as much power and contraction. It's not charged up the way that it was. And then what's typically will follow is there'll be other things behind that. You know, so I think that for me and likely you, like the doing the podcast has been of great benefit. And you know, I've done, I think, like 
we're on episode 250. Whenever this comes out, it'll be more than that. And in that time, there's been 250 hours of opportunity for me to be honest with myself or continue wrapped up in lies. And so you'll notice from this conversation, I can lean on intellectual jargon as a means to like protect deeper truth, um, just the way that I can lean on physicality or lean on all these other things. But as long as you're leaning on all of those things, there's a sensation of like ster- sterility to it. Or safety. Or safety, which feels sterile. Yeah. If you go on a, a date with somebody, a great idea is to do something that's slightly on the edge of safety. You know, so it's like I have a motorcycle, you know, so that's like something that's like a fun thing. Like we're in control, but you're, it's, it's a pretty vulnerable position for us to both to be in. And we got to share that together. You know, acro yoga is another example. You know, picking somebody up, flipping around, they're upside down, they're twisted, they don't know where they are. You know, the, all those things create deeper connection. But if you're always living in that safety realm, then eventually, again, I think you kind of suffocate in safety. I think also we're addicted to the shame hit behind closed doors. And when you expose it, there's no room for it anymore because there's light on it. So often it's like, it's like in the closet, right? It's like behind the doors where we're stuffing our face with the food and binging or doing the things that quote unquote, we deem as bad because we want that hit, that shame hit. But then it's like, oh, once I told it on a podcast and thousands of people hear it, can't get the same shame hit anymore because it's not hidden. And I'm like, Fuck, it's out there. I mean, that's what so many times in my life where I was so terrified to speak my truth about my relationships and my relationship with my body and my anorexia and my laxative abuse and my breast and plan illness. And like the list just now everything's out. But it's like there was so much shame for me specifically. Like, oh, I got implants and like no one knew it. And it was like this shameful experience of how I sold my car. And like the moment I just told the story, I'm like, that felt to me like a lot of shame. Like when I was a kid, cause I had worked so hard for this car. It was like a gift from my dad. Cause I was like, you know, one of those straight A students and I worked really, really hard and kind of put my money in. And, it, like, and, I, and I got this amazing car and it, it stayed in Michigan when I moved to New York to, to model. And I, I had so much shame calling home to my dad and being like, I need you to sell my car. I need money. And and this was the first time I ever had asked, you know, for money from my parents or called home or anything. He's like, are you in trouble? Like, no, I'm getting boobs. And for him, it was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, like a really shocking thing. And he didn't like shame me for it or anything. He was just like, okay, but also confused. And yeah. And for me, it was a lot of, there was a lot of shame around that. And I never told that story until recently. And then when I did, it was like, here it is. This is part of my past and doesn't need to define who I am now. Um, And then we're not hiding behind closed doors and it's not a story. And I think a lot of times, even in relationships, there's so much from our past where like, if we share this with our partner, they're going to be in judgment. But like, do you want to be in a relationship with anyone that's judging you and not loving you unconditionally for your past? Well, if you share that with your partner, they leave you. I mean, this is all stuff that I think people already already intuitively or intellectually know, but it will, it's a great way to filter out people that don't belong in your life. Like that's a really apparent thing. And then the other thing, if you do that, you'll create a container for the other, for the partner to share whatever they need to share and then all of a sudden you it goes into your relationship becomes more of like this healing ceremony as opposed to but i I don't think it's 
sustainable. I think likely the end of many relationships perhaps could be in relation to the sensation of getting close to something deeper that you're not comfortable with touching on. And then you like sabotage it and think their lips are too small or something. Totally. A hundred percent. I think, I think 99% of, well, maybe not 99, but I would say a lot of relationships I personally have seen and was because partner or the person wasn't, wasn't willing to dig deeper in themselves. It wasn't about the partner. It's about themselves. Yeah, I question sometimes if it would be possible to be in love along with like sexually attracted to like any person in the world, including men, women, like any, anything. If you're like that open to loving yourself, that's just some crazy stony thought. But because I, I feel like in my experience, I've my tendency to be sexually attracted to people and then find parts that I find unacceptable and then shut it down before it can go into anything deeper than that. And I wonder if, okay, so that's one side of the spectrum. I wonder if perhaps the other side of the spectrum could be like, no, I can find love and, you know, bartender, stinky Joe, you know, because I just see his soul. You know, I go in, I'm like, yeah, like, I know that you're more than your sweatshirt and you're more than the rings you're wearing and you're more than the car that you drive and your job and all that stuff. Like underneath that, there's like this soul connection. Or then there's the other part of that, like the scientific stuff of like the... Uh, the t-shirt study, you hear this? The t-shirt study is they um, had a group of people, big old group of people, uh, wear these shirts and then like get sweaty and go exercise and do all the things. And then, yeah, it's really popular. And then they put them in bags and they did this like party, much like the thing that you had probably. Um, and they had people smell all of the different shirts and they just had like letters on them so they know who it was. It wasn't like Jimmy or anything. And uh, what they found was the people that would, the sense that you were attracted to were people that you'd be like completing their immune system deficiencies. So parts that I'm, you know, if you're really good at blocking some type of pathogenic bacteria, disease, whatever thing, but I'm not, I will all of a sudden find you sexually attractive. So that might go against my loving, stinky bartender, Joe, see the, the soul in him. I don't know. But... <laughs> If we had no wounding, <laughs> I believe we would be able to look at someone and have no judgment and love them on a soul level in terms of humanity and consciousness. And, yeah. yeah and we're all, all babies. We're all babies in adult costumes. Totally. I didn't make that up, but I like it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do believe that. I really feel like I was at Soul Cycle and these two girls were like, complaining about this girl in the front row who wasn't as good as them and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, is this real life? Like, like when do we get to the put? And, and I saw myself in them of who I was, you know, 10 years ago, of course. But I was like, when are we as humanity going to get to the place where this is a human expressing themselves, a, a soul expressing themselves in a human body, your soul expressing yourself in a human body, like instead of being shaming them for doing something good for their health and their well-being, when do we come to a place of unconditional love and empower them and be excited? And, you know, it's just like, that's my goal for humanity someday. It's like, we're all just expressing ourselves in different ways. And how can we lift one another up and be in, be in our own expression while still loving everyone in theirs? Yeah, it all starts with yourself. But I think other people are, it can be teachers. Like I think oftentimes, like I've described certain females in my life. It's almost like like heart surgeons, you know, so that they can kind of come through. And I'm like too big and dumb and, you know, just all like on the A train to be able to have the intelligence 
to actually go through and rewire my own kind of fears and shame and all that. But then all of a sudden this like, you know, fairy female can like run into my world and like, like go through with her little tentacles and start opening things up. And I'm like, oh man, okay. So I think there's that. And a hundred percent, like I think that out of contrast and things that don't feel well, we're actually evolving as a consciousness in our own experience as well. So it's a, it's a good thing because people are in our lives for lessons, of course, and to make us feel certain things. And people are self, you know? So I think that there's like a, a part of what we've been talking about and other people that are smarter about the subject than, than me do a great job breaking down. Like, yeah, like your skin bag epidermis thing, like that's not the end of you. Like I, you know, as we already said, like we're becoming this environment, becoming each other you know, the whole theory of mind stuff. And, you know, before that, like, what were you before you were a, a little fetus, you know, before you, you were like a twinkle in your father's eye or whatever, you know, like, like at what point do you separate from everything? Like, I don't know. I don't know. What the, I don't think you do separate. I think you just continue and then you develop this theory of mind and then become, you know, more kind of wrapped up in that. There's probably some important purpose, it, purpose of that for a species for some reason. And then you kind of go back out and then you become an old person. You kind of go back into being like a baby essentially. And then you, then you pop back up and then you're back in for a little bit, you know, and you play all these games with yourself and the tricks and all that. And then you, and you go back into it, you know? So I, I think that there is to have this sensation that, Oh, I need to do this by myself in some cave somewhere, or, you know, apartment in New York city or something like that. And I have to have a freak out and I have to have a, cockroach walking beside my face this is the story of um who was it oh what's her name i had her on my podcast oh man i forget what her name is she's the best what's the lady who lives in ojai she's um like 80s something like that she's katie 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 oh katie, katie byron yeah katie yeah. byron yeah that's her story yeah. you know and all of a sudden she had this moment of like eckhart tolle kind of enlightenment thing uh -huh. and she's like at the end of her life that oh back you know, so that's one idea that you need to just introspect deeply and go in and, 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 you know, be able to forgive yourself and all those layers. But then I think there is something interesting too, like, well, you are me, you know, so maybe being with myself could be with anybody. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that in the chaos is where we find ourselves. Like people say, it's, it's easier to be a monk in a silent mountain. I thought you were going to say silent disco for some reason. I almost said that. Did you? you We're tuning. Because I was thinking about <laughs> silent. You know what I was thinking of? I was thinking of you dancing in silent disco. You really were going to say silent disco? Totally. I was thinking silent no disco. Way. Yeah, yeah. We are becoming each other. It's kind of weird. It's not the tel silent not, mountain. Not like telogeny, though. No, I hope not. I don't know. What is that? That's the thing I was talking about before of the the uh, the, the sex. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I was saying, people, like, there's the concept where, yeah, try going to be a monk in the middle of New York. Like, try dealing with the chaos there versus in a mountain. So, it's better, you know, you actually evolve and achieve greater states of awareness in, in chaos than you do sometimes. I don't think there's any greater or less or better or worse. You know, I think it's all just different. Like, you could, not to dis just say, like, devil's advocate, and you already know this, but... No, I, yeah, I, I agree. I am a hundred percent in agreement. Like you, it takes you know, like it, like everything's equally valuable. So like the idea that Sarah's laughing because she couldn't get her water bottle into her mouth. It was the, cute, it was the cutest thing ever. <laughs> I missed my mouth. 
<laughs> it was good. God, was there's good. a microphone. You're absorbing with the room. You're like becoming. You're like you're like pouring water into the drawer. Because like, I'm so unicity. Astronauts do that when they go to space and they have the unicity sensation. When they come back, they go through depression. Well, so that it's not because of the depression. It's because they went to space. It's because they they achieved their highest goal. You know, so they had like there's a a basketball coach that said the key to playing well in basketball is that you need to know enough to play the game well, but not too much to realize that it doesn't fucking matter. I don't know why I said that. It's perfect. Great. <laughs> oh my god, we could talk for hours. <laughs> this is like, crazy dangerous. <laughs> so the things that I wanted to talk about, oh, yeah, I'm right. glad we didn't talk about because yeah. we had an amazing conversation. Yeah, get out of these notes. But that's good that you did the notes. I think the notes are really valuable. Yeah. But I do want people to know how valuable the Align Method is. And I do want them, listeners, to buy this book because I think it will absolutely, I know for sure, and I trust that it will change their lives. So let's just dive into the book really quickly. The part that I love the most, one of the one of the parts is the learn, unlearn, relearn. So let's let's talk about that and then let's talk about how these five principles are going to create a stronger body, sharper mind, and a stress-proof life. Yeah. So the learn, unlearn, relearn thing is, so the idea with that is we go through, so essentially you start kind of like we were talking about before, where you pop out and then you pop back in into your, you know, your, your skin body here. You start off perfect. You, know, you come out as a baby and you're here's this clear open vessel. Well, there's potentially other things that you're probably affected by your mom and your mom's mom and all that, but nonetheless, you're pretty darn good. And then you learn in the present Western culture that we live in that you should, I'm intentionally saying should, sit still, be in the desk. You know, the desk has a screen in front of kids probably. I'd imagine I've seen pictures of some schools where they have like the laptop or whatever iPad there. You sit still, you stare at the screen, you color inside of the lines, you don't talk when you're not supposed to, you raise your hand to go take a pee. You know, and like, okay, cool. I'm like, I'm containing, I'm learning how to be a human being, like a socially acceptable human being. And then what that ends up doing is ends up, I think, breaking a lot of people. You mentioned like the straight A's. Straight A's are tough. And I think for the most part, uh, you know, you want your kid to have a nice, consistent B. (laughs) You want them to play football. You want them to get into trouble. You want them to tell their teacher to fuck off every now and again. You know, like that's, if you got that kid, you're probably a pretty darn good parent, you know, because you're teaching your kid how to think, you know, as opposed to just teaching your kid, because like the world doesn't give a shit about keeping you inside the lines unless you're working in a factory and those are slowly becoming outdated. You know, so if you're setting your, your child up for that, or the school system is the outdated school system in large part, then at some point they're going to have to effectively understand how to unlearn all of that shit. Uh, There's some benefits of going to school. Uh, but in large part, the structure of our system is not built for success in like the, most of the molds of like the, the people that I get to connect with in my world, at least. If we just followed the being taught to the test, sitting in place, doing as we're told, all of that, like no one, you're not going to go far in any open world. You know, inside that school system, as long as there's like a, a boss in front of you telling you what to do and you, you stay within the lines, okay? So obedience, yeah, yeah. So it's teaching obedience, which is kind of it's kind of interesting. But so at some point you need to unlearn for one thing those those postural positions. You know, so if you lived in a more natural environment, very likely you would walk with regularity. Very likely you would hang with regularity. 
you know, re- even if the hanging is just like reaching up into high places, like your arms will go up over your head, very likely you will have a more functional breathing pattern because you'll be in a calmer state in general because you've got some of that energy out of your body because you're, you're moving well and you're looking out into the distance. If we're staring into, I promise I'll get back, learn, unlearn, relearn thing. But as you're staring into your phone, that puts your body into more of a sympathetic, like fight, flight type place. Fight, flight's a fine, perfectly fine thing, but it puts you into more of like a executive function, get shit done. When you look out into the distance, like we look out in the window right now, all of a sudden it, it switches your nervous system over into more of this, okay, calm, parasympathetic, rest, digest, chill the freak out. You know, so as we're in school, the mold that we're in for the most part, puts us into a position of being kind of folded forward. Our breath might end up being up and around like our clavicles, up in our chest, as opposed to that deep diaphragmatic breath. We're staring at something up close, which adds on to that, that stress state. Uh, we're not moving enough, so we can't wiggle all that stuck energy out of our body. We're not outside enough, so we're not getting exposed to all the good bacteria and all the things that are colonizing our microbiome. You know, so we're kind of setting kids up for this, this really interesting state. And then you come out of that. And then, um, you know, you do all the weird stuff that we're into, and I'm sure people listen to this are into to kind of like unlearn those patterns. And then it's re- how do we reseed ourselves? And that's what the book is about. Essentially, it's like a user's manual on how to drive your body more effectively. So any moment throughout the day, 100% of the time, there's a whole plethora of options of how to make you feel brighter, happier, stronger, more stable, more flexible. But for the most part, we just don't have that in our memory bank of like, oh, what do we do? You know, I'm at my, yeah, I'm at my office. How could I possibly, you know, this isn't a place to be healthy and well. This is a place to like get work done. But there's so many things that we can do. And that's essentially what the book breaks down. I mean, one of the most profound things was like shifting my office to look out the window, like you said, versus just stare, having your desk in front of a wall where you have nothing to look into but the wall and then your computer. So it's like shifting kind of the feng shui of your room to have it be supportive. Yeah. And you could even just soften your gaze, you know? So think of like a shark hunting, it's like that laser focus. A lot of people that would be fall into more of like what I would call the anxious archetype um, in the book, their tendency is to be stuck in laser focus. And it's kind of hard to be around them sometimes, unless you really just need to get some shit done. Then you're like, cool. Get them in there. Like they're just going to just No, but to hang out with that laser focused person all the time is like stressful. It's like tiring, you know, because sometimes it's really nice just to kind of glaze out and chill, you know. And so, literally, you can do that as an exercise with your eyes. If you're feeling stressed out, instead of focusing on a thing intently, just allow your gaze to kind of go into more of like this panoramic view, even if you're inside a room. Then step it up even higher to do that same thing while you're outside looking out into the trees. As you're taking a walk, look up. You know, as you walk into a room, make the first thing that you do look up at the ceiling. You know, say, oh, wow, that's a great fan. And if you're commenting on somebody's fan, you're doing the align method. You know, so as you're moving through the world, there's all these opportunities for you to start to kind of gather some of this like biological health money that's just sitting on the table. But for the most part, we just wait for a physical therapist or massage therapist or the spa that we go to once a month to like, you know, rapidly infill all of that. The whole day, there's opportunities everywhere. I love that. My favorite quote from my mentor was, we have to unlearn the way that we were taught to suffer. Mm -hmm. And so in the process of suffering, 
why are we doing that? Well, because we, we're an autopilot. We don't know anything else. And when you don't have access to a different level of awareness, you can't even think outside the box that you're currently in. But that's why I love your process. And I think it's really important that it's like, how do you adopt a new shift every single day, every single week? I mean, I just, even just taking in just a few things that you recommended. I mean, I don't even remember. We tried to record this podcast several times. Yeah. <laughs> like every time I see you, I'm like, okay, well now I'm going to have floor pillows and put a, you know, coffee table on the floor and work on the floor, bringing people together. My, uh, the PR people that I'm working with for the book, they sent me a text message this morning and it was a picture of the whole team. There's like, there's like 10 of them. They're not all done the book. Only like, like I think two or three are done my book, but they're all on the floor. You know, as they're doing that, they're all like laughing and smiling and they're like, it's just goofy and they're mobilizing their hips and they're, they're circulating all this fluid and they're like, they're, they're turning their bodies on. And so as they're doing that, and it also separates that idea of going to dinner, we're having a family dinner. Everyone sits in the chair that you've been in all day, all day. It's, it's, it's like crazy that this isn't a, a, is, is, is not a more obvious conversation. And so within that, you sit in that same position you've been in. Your teachers all day have been saying, you got to sit still. You know, you got to do what you're told. You come back and you're doing that with your family now. You know, like how could you not want to go out and vandalize and do drugs at that point? Like you just want something like, like get it out. But if you can slowly titrate some of those little drips of making the home more playful, then all of a sudden, uh, the, the, the body of the family will have less pent-up energy. I think people also think that, oh my gosh, well, this is going to take time and money and resource, and that's going to slow me down. But they don't see that productivity actually increases. Clarity, cognitive health, your outcome in terms of the amount of times you're sick per year, the times you show up ready to go in the morning and not dragging at three o'clock and not the last two hours of your day not being productive because you haven't taken that time. And I'm curious if you want to talk about that because I think that that's, you know, it, it, we're always like, oh, it's time, it's energy, it's taking me away from that email I have to do. And I'm like, well, fuck, if you don't do it now. Yeah. So your brain has a certain level, like, like the cup gets full, you know, so there's like the, the Pomodoro technique I mentioned in the, in the book you know, have a, a, a work cycle of, you know, 20, 25 minutes and somewhere in that range, or works for you, you call it 25 minutes. And then, so you work intently during that time frame, And then you have after that, you know, a five minute reward where you go take a walk and you, it actually is beneficial with consolidating new information, new memories in your brain. If you get to a point where you're all filled out, like Tony Robbins does a great job with this. I just went to one of his events recently. It was, it was an interesting experience. And one of the things that I noticed was how scientific he is about keeping people in a neuroplastic state. You know, so essentially like a hypnotic state. You know, be, he wants their cup to always be open to receive new information. And he's so brilliant at this. With the, the moment that the crowd, whether it's two people or 20,000 people, the moment that the crowd starts to go into this closed state, oh, he's talking about... All right, everybody up. And, you know, bone music, woo! Like flamethrower. You're like, whoa, oh, God, all right, dance. Like beat your chest, scream! And then everyone comes back and you're like, wow, man. Yeah. It's because I remember going, there, going to David Destiny and thinking, 
I didn't know I had seven days of 12 hour days of dancing on chairs and yeah. screaming mm-hmm. inside of me. Yeah. But you do. Oh, you got all sorts of stuff. We in have there. so much inside of ourselves that we're not tapping. We don't have access to yet. Yeah. So what we end up doing is we try to force, you know, a square peg into a circular hole and, you know, the kids are done. The kids want to go climb a tree and, you know, wrestle each other and throw frisbees. And, you know, you could do math by adding up sticks, you know, or you could teach people creativity by saying, okay, like create this birdhouse. Like we're not going to give you directions. Get it done. Whoa. Now we're into like some Elon Musk shit. You know, it's like we're doing something that's never been done before. Like, oh, okay. I've been educated since I was five years old to do something that's never been done before. All of a sudden, you're 30 years old and you have a whole company that you're leading. You're like, yeah, man, I've been practicing this shit since I was a little guy. You know, and so that's, I think, what the human mind thrives on is, is adaptation. And what we end up doing is we end up kind of taking them away because we, we put them into those confines and uh, stirring people up, man. It keeps us supple. <laughs> so if you want to be, have a stronger body, sharper mind, stress-proof life, mm. you have to get this book. It's amazing. I'm, I'm really excited to finish it. I'm, I'm fortunate that I have the galley before everyone else, but once this podcast launches... It's going out. Going out in the world. People will be sitting on the floor. It's going to be ready. They get tag, the hashtag floor culture. It's a cool thing. I love getting messages from people showing me their floor setup, which is, again, it's unbelievable to me that more people do not spend more time on the ground. Um, I wrote the whole book on the ground. I never sat in a chair for the book. At the end, people talk about like how, oh my God, I did the book. It was the I was outside. I would, I would sit on my roof sometimes. I'd sit on a biomat, which was facing a window. Um, I'd be in all the positions that I literally talk about in the book. At one point, I'm even saying, I'm describing a position of like, this is a good position for you. By the way, I'm in this position right now. You know, and at the end of it, I became a healthier person, I think, because I essentially just did like book writing yoga. And I can speak <laughs> to the fact that like you... <laughs> my husband and I are always talking like Aaron takes up more space than anyone on the planet oh wow interesting like just in terms of your space like when you dance when you move like oh yeah like yeah endless space you gotta clear them out great you gotta be ready (laughs) coming through so i can speak to like the full transparency and honesty that you are living this book yeah yeah we're like oh clear the dance floor aaron is coming in that's good that's a little embarrassing but i appreciate it no we love it (laughs) i have videos okay so so top secret i have this video of you from layla martin's birthday oh oh yeah and i watch it just to like make me happy yeah well there was a fellow there that was doing some dominant male dominant alpha alpha dancing whenever i'm sad i'm like just turn that video on just Aaron on my phone. <laughs> Good. That's great. You can know that you're making my life better. No, I didn't know. And then I turn my music on and Man, I what amazing reflection. I really and, appreciate that. Yeah. It, again, it's like, it's so abnormal for me to even think about not having a couch. But then as getting to know you, I'm like, well, why is it weird that I would have a table with cushions around it as my living room? Because yes, uh, I culturally grew up with a couch. That's what it feels like it should be. But it's just, or like, why would it feel weird? Like, why would it be weird to like dance in a certain way and take up space and be in different levels? And it's not, but it's like, we think it is because this is how. Yeah. Pelvic floor dysfunction is weird. Osteoarthritis, the hip is weird. Knee arthritis is weird. 
you know, all of those things I would find to be very strange. But spending time in on the ground, like literally the rest of the world, healing all of those parts, circulating all those fluids, I just think it's just makes sense. Well, I think we should do a stay tuned. We're gonna do a like a Facebook live or something okay. fun. We'll do a video so people can actually see this. We'll do dance moves. Because I think it's hard to I mean I think once people get that book, it will be very easy, but sometimes it's hard to explain your level of spaciousness that you take up. Spaciousness. That's interesting. I'm I'm going to have to sit with how I feel about the spaciousness. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we'll uh, we'll be back for many more. That's good. Thank you for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Grateful for you and the impact you've had on my life and how the impact on my husband's life and how you make him awkward when you hug him. Great. I only did it once. I'll pull back next time. No, no, no. I did handshake, handshake, and then I, I remember the specific moment where I was like, I was like, oh, I could see Craig. There was a little like I could feel his 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 sphincters kind oh, of tighten up a little bit. He's all about man man to man hugs. <laughs> <laughs> he's into it. <laughs> he's good. getting there. That's good. Oh, if people uh, oh, yeah, yeah, want to yeah. pre-sell the book, pre-sell and where can, where can they find you? When, 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 when's the book? When's this go out? December something? When, yeah. what, what day is now? Whatever, whenever you want. It's, all right, it's December something so, right now. And so probably pre-sale. And so they can go to thealignbook.com. So it's called The Align Method. Um, it's in pre-sale on, you know, wherever all the places. Uh, but thealignbook.com has that. And then uh, people will get bonuses along with that, which would be a fun thing. Which will be fun. And if you're listening to this after pre-sale, still buy it. Yeah, right. And you can listen to this 40 band, years in the future. Buy the band and all the things that you have to offer because it will make your life better. You'll be happier. You'll be healthier. You'll be more energized, more vital, and just excited about life, which makes me happy. So thank you for being here. Of course. I love you. Thank you. I love you. I, I look forward to doing a podcast on, on my side whenever your book comes out. Yes. All right. Thank you. All right, friends, before you go, I want to leave you with a final challenge because during this podcast, maybe it was the first time that you actually checked in with your body which is all too common in our world today. For many years, I was so disconnected from my own body that I never thought to slow down and actually listen to what it was telling me. But over the years of healing, I've definitely come to understand how coming into alignment and improving our physical mobility impacts our entire well-being. As we mentioned today, there are hundreds of ways to reconnect with yourself and come into alignment. Maybe that's just taking a break from your screen and doing some floor work. Maybe it's about making time to stretch or do some lunges on your work break, or maybe it's about going outside and basking in the sun. It's really about reconnecting with your own body cues and getting back into your physical body. And it's the smallest adjustments that we make in our daily routine that have the biggest impact on our physical health in the long run, especially if we do them consistently. So keep up the momentum this week and add to your calendar one thing per day you're going to do to shift your alignment. As always, I'm curious to know how this episode resonated with you and what you took away from it. So please, please, please share with me. Snap a screenshot of what you're doing to bring your body back into alignment and tag me on the gram. I want to share and continue to spread Aaron's powerful message further. Thank you so much again for being here. And until next episode, I'm sending you guys so much love. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. 
But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.